Welcome to Black Consumer News of Arkansas Radio. Black Consumer News, news that empowers. We want to welcome uh, our listeners. Uh, You're listening to us here on KABF 88.3 FM, the voice of the people. I'm your host, Angel Bird. And in the studio with me today, of course, is my co-host, Wesley Brown. Good morning, Wesley. Good morning. How are you this Friday? I am doing wonderful. Uh, Black Consumer News covers the top local, state, and national stories of the week at BlackConsumerNews.com. Wesley, over the the next several weeks ahead of May 24th, I'm going to jump right in here because this is a big political year, right, that we're in. Uh, We've got the primaries uh, and leading into uh, the 2020 general election, on November the 8th, 2022. Uh, We will be interviewing local, state, congressional, and judiciary or judicial candidates running for office in 2022 election. Um, Early voting in Arkansas primary begins on May the 9th and ends on Monday, May the 23rd, a day prior to election. Uh, The deadline to apply to register to vote uh, was this past Monday, so we hope you were able to get down to the courthouse and get registered. The primary uh, runoff elections will be held on June uh, the 21st. Uh, BC. Yeah. So. Yeah, those those June primaries are are only if necessary, if there's a runoff. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, Just depends on how everything goes at the polls. Um, between the 9th and the 23rd, right? <laughs> okay. So, and so BCN's headlines kicked off um, the election season with an interview with Latanya Austin Honorable, who is running for the judicial seat as the Pulaski Circuit Judge for Judicial Subdivision 6.1. Uh, since 2010, this judicial seat has been held by Judge Wendell Griffin who announced plans to retire February the 21st. Uh, Her opponent for this seat is Ernest Sanders Jr. This week, we will um, divide into into another uh, district, District 6 judiciary race, with another BCN headline guest, Cara Connors. Cara, welcome to BCN. Thank you for having me, Angel and Wesley. I'm so happy to be here. Um, Cara, she is running for the circuit court judge seat, Division 12, sub, sub-district 6.1, which is being vacated by Alice Gray, who is retiring. Gray was first elected in 1992 and is one of the district's five full-time civil judges. Connor's opponent uh, in this race is local attorney Brenda Stallings. Uh, we will be talking to um, um, Cara about her race and get some history from her on the Hunt's decree and uh, how it impacts uh, the state's judiciary and how it allows Black citizens to get fair treatment under the law in 
Pulaski County. So we'll be discussing that with her later on in the show. But as always, we have several hot topics this week that uh, will lead us off in our show, including the latest from Ukraine's conflict, the billions of dollars of supports that are going overseas and how it impacts us here in Arkansas and, and really across the country. We also are going to talk about Governor Hutchison's decision to send back nearly a hundred and $50 million in COVID-19 rental assistance uh, to the Biden administration and how inflation is pushing up housing and rental uh, prices in 2022. Other topics on the table, Wes, is the huge $46 billion uh, deal by billionaire and TESTA chairman and CEO um, uh, Elon Musk to take Twitter private. And what does that mean? $46 billion. Um, let's see what's going to happen with Twitter. On the local- I a, I, I'm going to see if I can make a count of bid on that. <laughs> yeah, make a, that will be... On, on the local end, uh, we are going to also talk about the um, possible hiring of a new Little Rock school district superintendent and other local news that affect us all. So let's get started. Uh, we're going to start off by talking about, of course, Ukraine is is hot in the headlines, but even even harder. I mean, we're talking the U.S. just gave is it three three hundred million dollars or was mm-hmm. that three hundred billion dollars? Three hundred um, million. Million dollars over to um, Ukraine to help their their military and. Uh, I just want to get some clarity on that as well. So we're we're sending money over there so they can um, help with their military forces, I should say. Uh, and then we're also going to be helping them with military training, but we're not sending in troop. Uh, and so um, that and so we're looking at that amount of money, looking at our economy already under stress on this side. Uh, of 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 the um, ocean, it just seems um, very hard to contemplate kind of everything that's going on, Wesley. As far as so much money being pushed around the world, and and we're in inflation as well. So, can we talk about one? Um, is this three hundred million dollars uh, really going to help the effort, uh, the the war efforts uh, with re- Ukraine with their troops, and and exactly how? Are they going to use this three hundred million dollars? Well, well, three hundred. The three hundred million is just a small part of the total package that Congress uh, has approved. Uh, the total amount is thirteen point six billion. Uh, that uh, and it goes to different different uh, uh, tiers of, of support. The first of support, of course, is uh, military uh, in the form of military. Uh, personnel, meaning technical advisors, uh, and also it comes in the form of, of raw materials uh, from uh, uh, food all the way up to, to F-15, F-16 fighter pilots. And if you look at uh, uh, one of those, those jets can cost as much as 200 or $300 million. So uh, when you put together a package and all, all the things so that uh, uh, the hardware to fight against uh, Russia, 
That is the support. It basically said that we're not going to enter the conflict, but we're going to provide them. That puts us right on, on, a, on a thin line because, uh, <laughs> yeah. because uh, uh, President Putin, Vladimir Putin has said that that's almost like you're fighting against us. So we're very, uh, 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 very close in line. It really is. Isn't it like a subliminal message, though, that we're helping, but we're not helping? And also, let's let's take this story back a little bit for our listening audience as far as NATO is concerned and why Ukraine doesn't have military forces. Hmm. Well, you know, the, the Soviet Union broke up uh, several years ago. And they were all part of one company, the, what we call the USSR. And, and at the time... Russia has, 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 Ukraine has always been like the, the stepsister of Russia. Uh, it's close to Europe. It's close to the Black Sea area. Uh, it has a lot of the resources that Russia needs, a rich resourceful country. Uh, but Russia has kind of treated it like a stepsister. And then it did it all the way going back to World War II. And now you're in that same situation. Russia doesn't really recognize uh, when it joined uh, when Ukraine joined NATO, it doesn't, it didn't recognize that. So it essentially is kind of like uh, Russia is saying that uh, Ukraine is a breakoff country. It's not a uh, similar situation is, is going on in uh, China with ta- Taiwan. Uh, China doesn't recognize uh, Taiwan as its own country. Uh, it's the same situation here. And uh, uh, so, so what's going to happen is, is when Russia invaded Ukraine. It's basically said it's part of, it's already part of Russia. We're just taking back the country that's part of us. So uh, now we're- but, they, but they've never formed a military. They don't, they don't, uh, Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, they have, uh, uh, they have some, just similar to what happened after Japan, after World War II, they, they're slowly building their military, but they don't have, of course, what, what some countries have, but they do have some to be able to, to, I heard it mentioned. I heard it mentioned that we are also going to be training their military mm-hmm. and perhaps having their soldiers come on our side to train them. And I'm, uh, it's just it just sounds really confusing. So that's why I was asking that. Well, a lot, a lot of what we're doing is done through NATO, so it's not done directly. Uh, we can't, uh, uh, but it's still. There's a thin line between what's going on and, and the threat is there's always the nuclear threat. We don't we want to uh, uh, don't forget that. And, and as we put uh, Russia into a much of an economic corner, what's going to happen? Uh, 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 if you saw what happened with with uh, Nazi Germany during World War II, the more it was forced into an economic uh, embargo, the more it 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 fought back against those same way with Japan during World War II. So yeah. uh, it's showing opposition for the United States and the rest of the world. Yeah. And Russia's actually showing out. They, they cut the gas off from Poland and, and, and Bulgaria. And can you talk a little bit about um, why that happened? And um, so now they don't have gas in Poland or Bulgaria. Well, they, they do, but you have to, what you're going to have to do, you're going to, they had uh, pipelines into those countries and now that, that natural gas will have to be shipped into, which is a more expensive proposition. Uh, and, 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 uh, uh, but what's happening is 
Russia is being put into to corner. And but there, that's their only bargaining chip. Uh, they have a, so much natural gas, and they supply it to most of Europe. Uh, and that's the only thing that they have to fight back. Uh, what could happen if, let's say, uh, a larger country uh, stopped buying Russian oil? Uh, there are still a few countries like, uh, uh, I, I think, uh, South Korea and uh, some of the Middle Eastern countries are still buying cash from, from Russia if they stop. Then Russia would be in a situation where it may not economically be able to to mobilize, support its military. And then what does Putin do then? If if he's committed atrocities and people are saying he's going to be prosecuted for those prosecutions at the end of this, then what is his end game? That's the question that that's that I struggle with. Uh, because his access to nuclear arms is not like ours. Our president has to go through several levels before he can push that button. Not Putin. Putin can say, bring it here, push it that quickly, and we could be in into a situation. Ser- ser- very serious, very serious trouble, and, no and, doubt. And, and the economic fallout to us, especially on the energy side of things, for us, natural gas, electricity, pump prices, fertilizers, anything, uh, energy has, it touches every part of our economy. There's nothing that you can do, you and I can do that energy is not affected by. So all of those things, that's why we see an inflation and everything that's tied to energy is probably 20, 30, 40% higher than it was even a few months ago. And it could even go higher. And, 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 and certainly all of which is going on in uh, Ukraine and Russia is, um, you know, Kara, how, how much is your uh, probably your biggest expense is is gasoline? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I've seen the the immediate impact of that. I travel all over the state um, for work, and so I've I've seen that immediately following oh. um, the the invasion of Russia into Ukraine, and how I believe the U.S. placed sanctions on Russia as a result. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yes, I've seen that inflation of prices uh, pretty quickly. And so, um, and I'm sure other, like you said, other natural resources will will start to feel the effects of that because it's, you know, gas is sort of like, um, it's a pipeline to several other mm-hmm. uh, resources in, in um, interstate commerce. Uh, and so if, if gas is high, then everything else is high because the transport of those yeah. um, items, either air or ground, requires gasoline, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, yes, I, I can, I just, um, I pray that our our nation and our, our world in general, because it impacts not only um, uh, us in this community, but, you know, the youth, the, um, the uh, European Union, I'm sure, will have some impact as well because they are. I think that Russia is their only supplier, right. if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, eighty five percent of of European, yeah, exactly. So um, it's it's going to have a trickle down effect, and it's going to impact the globally everyone. And so I think, I mean, I understand local concerns of why. The U.S. should not meddle into the Ukrainian war, but the global impact of not 
interfering or um, subsidizing may cause a economic implosion for the <laughs> for the whole world. Depression, a world especially on the hinges of a um, a pandemic, right? I mean, so <laughs> you've got a pandemic where we've already suffered economic tremendous economic loss, and then you couple that with uh, you know this Ukrainian Ukrainian war. It's like, will will we ever dig out of the hole that we've um, found ourselves in? And and and, a part of and, the and speaking of the pandemic, I was going to say, and speaking of the pandemic, I wanted to talk about. The, the, the $150 million in COVID rental assistant money that Governor Hutchison decided to send back to the Biden administration and how, again, that, that, um, it pushes, you know, up the housing and rental prices, uh, for 2022. Yeah. Uh, the, the governor held a press conference, uh, uh, for, for what we call a pen and pad at state capitol for us to, you can sit in virtually or come to the state capitol. He holds these on occasion. And uh, he, he he allows us to ask questions as capital reporters, but also for him to to get key bullet points. That he one thing he wanted to put out. One of the first thing he said that the state has a one billion dollar surplus, and there's going to be a fight pretty soon at the state capitol over how to spend an extra four hundred million dollars that we're going to have. The Republicans typically want to cut taxes. Uh, they they want to uh, build more prisons. Uh, but uh, and it, now that they have a supermajority at the state capitol, there's going to be a big fight over how that money is used. Uh, the the other thing he segued from that one million surplus that we're going to have at the end of the fiscal year, which ends June 30th, into the fact that he's going to send back that 150 million in rental assistance from uh, the American Rescue Plan and an earlier. Uh, bill that was passed between the CARES Act and, and the American Rescue. Did he did he give an explanation for that, Wes? Yeah, he, he basically said we're doing well economically. Uh, you know, if you ask your next door neighbor how well you're doing, they're probably saying I'm spending less because of inflation. Uh, my earnings are. It's not strange as because of the timeline, though, because of the timeline when the rental, rental assistance was due, and people were applying for the rental assistance. That, that, that just seems very strange from my viewpoint that he's saying that we, we have a surplus plus, but during the time when, you know, several months back before they, they, um, stopped the memorandum for rental assistance, people were in desperate need. Matter of fact, people within my own family needed rental assistance and were not able to get that assistance. I'm so sure, I'm sure we all know someone. My church had people come into. Uh, uh, asking for rental assistance. The, the state made it very difficult for people to get that assistance. Uh, people, uh, I, I, the story that we're, uh, we're working on, uh, 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 half, almost half the DHS rejected a half of them. Uh, uh, they made it very difficult. The, the landlord and the tenant has to sign off on the money. Sometimes because doing, because of the moratoriums, the landlords couldn't get rid of bad tenants or tenants that didn't pay. So now they don't want to sign that because they want to get rid of those tenants. So Mm -hmm. what's happening is that's why the state of Arkansas got 173 million. Only 35% of that money has been used. 
So the governor's basically saying there's two tranches. The first round and it was 173 million, right. and then another, I think, about 49 million. The governor's going to send almost all of that back. It's as if we didn't even. It's, it's as if we didn't even try to accommodate people, and people uh, are losing their their homes, and the assistance was there. And now, because you didn't pay your rent, your landlord's mad at you, and they want you to go. So that is a that's a very tough. And the other thing is, most of those moratoriums have ended. Yeah. So now, if you have six months of, of back mortgage or back rent that you have to pay, it's come due now. In mm-hmm. Arkansas, here's the thing, and Kara knows this, that Arkansas the only state in the union that doesn't have renters' rights. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so there's no recourse for that renter. They have no, uh, they have no uh, uh, way to, to be made whole. And you're right, Wes. Um, let's, let's, let's ask Kara then. Um, Kara, tell us about some, some things that you're seeing in the court uh, firsthand with people with the situation. With yes. Um, I mean, that's everything Wesley said is absolutely correct. I mean, once the moratorium was lifted, that went into basically it propelled uh, renters to get either pay or leave and the eviction process became um, effective immediately. Um, Arkansas is one of, like he said, only one of the only states that doesn't have a warranty of habitability, meaning um, that the landlord has no obligation to maintain the home in a habitable condition. So if the conditions, um, if the lease did not contemplate that you were required to, you know, make repairs or keep the water uh, running in a proper way or plumbing um, or, um, any of those fundamental um, needs that are required to live, then you have to leave and find somewhere else to go. And so that means looking the cost of moving that no one contemplates when you're evicted or if you're move, you know, you're trying to find a place to live. It's not only you're paying, you know, to the rent, the monthly rent, but you're also paying the cost associated with moving from place to place. And so um the the fact that the state does not one protect tenants in that way and then two reject assistance for those that would qualify for that help is uh so um it just seems counterintuitive because so, because if you're gonna negate the rights that many other states um enjoy the benefit of. We should balance that with the options of rental assistance being provided by our government, um, our federal government, those federal government dollars. And I haven't read the plan thoroughly, so I don't know what the stipulations are, but many Republican uh, governments will not or do not like to accept federal funding because then there's stipulation or requirements usually on that funding. Um, and they and they don't want that, you know, big brother kind of perception of having to uh, be holding to a federal government and their regulations. It, you know, they want that as a fair kind of approach to government. And so that that is I don't know if that's why um, that uh, that money was rejected. But that is is that's an ongoing um, tenet of many Republican regimens. Yeah, yeah, especially state legislature. You saw it with uh, 
uh, the Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, some several states wanted to, uh, uh, like you said, the one the lazy fair uh, situation. But it's 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 interesting that when it comes to tax credit for corporations. On the other side, it's a totally opposite. Listen, you're trying to preach today, Wesley. <laughs> you're preaching today now. Don't get me started. Now. <laughs> so uh, it, the bottom line is that that money's going back. Uh, uh, there's still Arkansas Legal Services and some others. Uh, there's still money that comes to some federal agencies like HUD that people can get a, assistance to, but uh, this was a, a, a our opportunity to get direct assistance to people when they needed, uh, yes. and uh, uh, that we're going to lose. And we're the only state, of, along with I think Nebraska and I think South Dakota, is to consider it. So we're only two of the, the states. Which is why the judicial seats are so important, um, because eviction proceedings go directly through a court system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, there are some judges who will automatically evict, um, you know, yeah, without that's concession. Um, mm-hmm. And so, but there are some that will will take us that know and understand poverty, and know um, how to contemplate that in their decision making process. And so, it's really important when you choose a when you're electing a judge to have judges that understand poverty and understand um, that the law provides concessions many times um, and judicial discretion allows you not to rubber stamp orders. Um, So that's, that's a direct impact on um, constituents and the the election of a judge. Yeah. And why they're so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very important because that as part of everybody needs a place to live. Everybody needs a roof of their over their heads and a judge, although that might seem um, detached from your daily living, can have an impact on where you live. So, um, so you, you, you preach it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got me going. You started, Wesley. So. <laughs> It's more like telling telling the truth, right? Yeah. Just telling the truth. Um, on, 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 on another topic, uh, or switching the topic a little bit here, uh, the huge deal uh, with billionaire um, Elon, CEO Elon Musk, uh, purchasing twi- Twitter for $46 billion. Uh, I wanted us to talk just a moment about what does that exactly mean, um, Wesley? Uh, uh, well, well, the, the biggest thing is is that. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Fine. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. You were asking your question. I'm done. I just want to know what's what's next. Well, what what he's doing is 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 uh, he's taking it private, which means it's a publicly traded company now, uh, meaning that you can buy stock in. Twitter, you can have a piece of it and you can have a say in it. By taking it private, he takes away that opportunity for investors, for shareholders to, to be involved in the process of making decisions about what Twitter is. Now, you know, being in the news business, I've seen how social media is now more almost as impactful as a news business. Mm-hmm. So 
taking that, looking at it from a First Amendment standpoint, and taking something private, it could be a very uh, a situation where, for instance, Donald Trump was regulated or hate speech was regulated. If they take it private, he's already talking about bringing back Donald Trump, allowing anybody to say anything to anyone mm-hmm. on that platform. Now, uh, I've always, I love the First Amendment. I'm a First Amendment advocate. Sit on the State Freedom of Information Task Force, uh, and I will fight for the First Amendment. But certain rights only come as far as it, how it affects another person. Sometimes we don't consider that uh, uh, that, that if someone is hollering fire, fire, fire in a place and there's no fire, then is that harmful? You know, and so uh, it, it's going to be interesting because. Must most people don't know he's a South African. He's a he's a he has American citizens, but his allegiances are not to, not to America. And it's it's I believe it's going to have the same effect as Rupert Murdoch when he bought Fox. Rupert Murdoch, same way, he was an Australian citizen mm-hmm. who didn't have any action with, with with minorities or black people. Same way with Elon Musk, uh, and I think it will be hurtful to minorities to people. Who are marginalized if they take it private. I, I hope that the Justice Department uh, and the FTC will take a strong look at this uh, uh, because what you're seeing is in our country never contemplated this, all these conglomerates controlling media and when that happens uh, we, it's kind of like AT&T owning all of old companies. Uh, uh, do we have a monopolistic uh, 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 that's against the interests of American people. And I can see that happening. Yeah. And like you said, Wesley, it doesn't seem quite clear yet mm. as to what his intentions are, but I'm sure we will quickly find out. Mm. And uh, we will definitely be keeping uh, a, a close watch on what's going to be happening in the Twitter world, no pun pun intended. Mm. Um, on, on the local front, uh, we have, uh, a a uh, possible new Little Rock um, superintendent, Little Rock School District superintendent, um, Jamal, I think, Wright um, is his name. Uh, he's from, he's from uh, Mississippi, and um, they're uh, apparently vetting him right now. And uh, the superintendent poor that's been sitting in the seat now for the last six years I'm told that uh, he is the second um, uh, longest holder of the seat of a superintendent of of the Little Rock School District since 1961. So um, I find that 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 quite interesting um, as well. Uh, Do you know anything about uh, uh, Mr. Wright? Just just quickly. And and, uh, uh, he he's he's over twenty one thousand dollar school district. uh, uh, The the school board unanimously uh, voted to pursue his hiring. Uh, I think yesterday evening or the earlier this week. Yes. It's a two hundred and seventy thousand uh, dollar position. He was over the uh, the Mississippi Achievement District, uh, which is a combination of two of the lowest lowest achieving uh, districts in the Mississippi Delta, and he did a job of lifting that up uh, out of. Uh, of their situation, similar to what what the city of Little uh, Little Rock went through when it went into uh, when the state took over it. So 
he's familiar with those kinds of situations. And uh, so uh, I think that's kind of what's one that the vetting process begins now where they'll probably look at his, uh, 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 you know, just a background check and go through all of that. And then the negotiations for, for salary will begin. And then you, I would think probably in the next two or three weeks, we'll have a final decision on that. Oh, yeah. Um, interesting. And, um, you know, based on his background, uh, like you said, he's he's dealt with um, a similar school district and um, has been able to bring it up to par, so to speak. And we know that our, our school district certainly uh, needs some attention. And so uh, we will see how everything kind of unfolds. Sounds great. And uh, 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 it's interesting that the city, the Little Rock School Board was unanimous in their support and you hardly see that in those situations. So uh, I think that's, that bodes well for, for this decision. Oh yes, absolutely. So uh, again, um, you know, once he's um, vetted and uh, we can possibly get him uh, in, in to get a, a, a job started because we, we know we certainly need one here in, uh, for our Little Rock public, public schools. We need some uh, attentive care for uh, our school district. Uh, and I think they're uh, moving in the right direction and, and obviously doing the right thing, Wesley, because I think there was a situation some years ago where we didn't vet a, a superintendent and that it kind of came back to haunt us. So uh, this is going to put us in a better situation for, for sure. Exactly. All right. Next, we have our special guest uh, that you've been um, listening to, Ms. Cara, uh, Cara Connors, uh, again, is here in the studio with us. And just a little bit about um, Cara Connors. She was born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee, and began her college career at Hendricks College in Conway, Arkansas, in 2002. And then in 2006, uh, Cara entered law school at the William H. Bowman School of Law at UALR and is now licensed to practice law in Tennessee and in Arkansas. Uh, Cara started her legal career as a hearing examiner and an appeals um, tribunal uh, subsequently began as a deputy prosecuting attorney here in Pulaski County. Uh, she has successfully handled criminal matters, and um, she is now serving as the commissioner of the Pulaski County Land and Commission Commissions, uh, the Planning Commissions, the Pulaski County Land and Planning Commission uh, for the Little Rock Civil Service Commission. And she's currently serving as the vice president of the W. Harold Flowers Law Society. Cara, welcome to Black Consumer News. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, we are definitely um, excited um, to have you. Now, you are uh, currently serving as the commissioner of the Pulaski County Land and Planning Commission, correct? 
That's correct. I formally served on the, the Civil Service Commission up until December of 21, right after I announced my candidacy for judge. Um, but I'm still on the Pulaski County Planning Commission. Correct? And, and tell, tell us a little bit about that, that petition, position and what that entails. Yes. Yeah, so that position is an appointed position by the county uh, judge, Barry Hyde. And that position makes decisions on the unincorporated lands of Pulaski County. So that's uh, your lands outside of Little Rock. Um, so you go, you know, any part of Pulaski County that is not part of Little Rock and you got Maumelle, the watershed, that area, and just balancing the preservation of, of that land um, with development in, in the city, in the, in the county. So um, those development companies that are seeking variances um, to build uh, development, um, or if you have a family that wants to uh, be granted a family exception to their land, uh, that they, they have to petition uh, the count this planning board uh, to present those um, uh, plans, and and we approve or deny those. Um, so that's it's just about how the land is used, the land use. We regulate the land use in in the county. Okay, wonderful. And of, of course, I, I said before that you've handled a lot of criminal ma- matters involving domestic battery, uh, sexual assault, and a plethora of p- a possession of drug offenses. Uh, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask, why do you think um, that our city uh, violence is on the increase? And um, is there a solution? That is a loaded question. Um, I think violence is always um, been prevalent um, in many high, you know, metropolitan uh, communities. Um, when you have growth, with that growth comes, you know, some of those fringe effects like um, violence. And so um, I think Little Rock is has experienced tremendous growth in the last few years. And so with that, you know, it comes that the residual effect. And I think COVID has played a, a huge role in it, with, especially as far as our youth um, not having constructive programming, um, not having aftercare, um, not being required to attend school in person, virtual school. I think all of that has um, caused, um, you know, some lack of structure for many people. And then so you have this, you know, lost kind of uh, um, effect where people are just looking for ways to release that that outlet, that energy, and uh, as opposed to being in school or in sports or, or being in a structured aftercare program, the, none of that exists or it has not existed. So parents aren't, aren't enforcing it. And those kids are kind of running rampant right now. And so I think we just, we've got, we've, we're playing catch up from the from the pandemic and, and maybe putting putting into place programming um, that is safe and that contemplates you know uh, uh, COVID nineteen but yet is um, ensuring the safety of our ch- children and structure. Um, so we, we we need programming and, and community organizations that are willing to intervene. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the homes of of Arkansans and 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 those in Little Rock, so 
I think there is a solution, but what I've told people is that, you know, I've been asked this question in a, in a different way. Well, what, what are you going to do as judge to, to resolve this? Or if you were elected, what would you do? And what I've said repeatedly is that this is, this is an ecosystem. I mean, everybody has a role as a judge. My role is to balance fairness with justice and whatever, however, the pendulum of justice swings is based on that individual's, you know, characteristics, traits, upbringing, um, mental health, so many factors. And so I'm going to apply the most appropriate, you know, punishment if I'm given a chance to do criminal law. And, and then I, but what happens after that, if I determine that there is an appropriate punishment that's, that gives a second chance that allows this person to be released or placed on probation, then it's up to other actors in the community to play their role because we're an ecosystem. One doesn't work without the other. And so I can only control the courtroom, right? I can only control how this person is impacted by the penalties available under the law. But then once that person is no longer under my jurisdiction, how are those other independent actors going to contribute to this person's success? So you've got churches, you've got, you know, counseling, um, you've got uh, any type of community organization that um, can invest in these individuals. They have to now kick into gear. So now you need legislators, um, uh, mayors, policemen, um, all of those actors have to, you know, get together and coherently work for the betterment of our community. So it's an ecosystem. It takes several people working together for that common thread. I really, I really like that. I want to ask you about, I, I had an a interview with Chief Justice Dan Kemp uh, a few weeks ago, and we talked about, went down to Sheridan with him. He's meeting, trying to meet with all the, the districts across the state. He talked about the fact that over the pandemic, and a lot of people didn't know this, courts were basically halted. Stopped. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and now you've got a backlog of, and, and um, some were doing Zoom, and some courts are just now getting back. And, and of course, our, our court systems are not connected as much as we needed to be in the state of Arkansas. So those same people who were being adjudicated, you know, are just kind of lagging out there now. Mm-hmm. And of course, you have a, a correction system that's full where uh, I know someone who, who committed a, 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 a homicide and was out in 17 years. So uh, you've got all these factors, as you said, and you've got a growing population. Uh, what made you make the decision to say, I, uh, Judge Gray is stepping down and I'm going to step in. I, I believe I can, can help and, and be because once a judge is kind of a person, kind of like me, I tell people journalists, you, people think I'm a journalist everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. So once you jump into that, people are going to see you as a judge wherever you go, whatever you do, even when you're a mom, even when mm-hmm. you're something else. So mm-hmm. tell me about that decision because already I know it's changed your life. Yes. It, I mean, it's, it's um, always felt like it was something that I w- w- should be doing or that I was, I hate to say destined. Led, led to? Yeah, <laughs> led to. You know, I, I've, you know, I've, people have encouraged me to run for office 
for the last three to four years, I've been asked, um, since I've been in private practice, mm-hmm. I've been asked, are you going to, when are you going to run? You should run for this. And, and you know, and I, I've been advocating. I love the law. Like I really do. I love the law and I love learning it. I love, um, I just like the law. I, I, I mean, I started out as a prosecutor, litigating cases, arguing cases. And I realized then that it was my calling to be in the courtroom and advocating for people. And then um, going on to the parole board where I was served as a quasi-judicial officer. So I, I did that for three years. So I made decisions on the parole release or reinstatement or re- revocation of parolees. So when someone uh, was uh, placed on a given a prison sentence and then they were released on parole, I would make decisions on whether that person should stay on parole or be revoked and go back to prison. Mm-hmm. And so I served in that kind of decision-making capacity. But what that did was it gave me a very different perspective and I was able to see the parolee as a as more of an individual as facing this because despite the wrongs that they've committed, you know, they have families, they've got communities that, that depend on them. And it's not just the revocation of this one person. It's, you know, you're 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 taking this person out of society and how it impacts several people. And so that led me to want to do uh, criminal defense and um and I've been advocating for people for the last five to six years, but I know that I can make fair decisions. I've kind of lived the lives of several, um, you know, advocates, interests. My interest has been the state. My interest has been, you know, the parole boards. And now my interest has been for individuals and companies and different capacities I've served. And so I think I just have a balanced perspective on the law and I want to affect change in that way, because despite how much I advocate for individuals as a defense attorney, um, if the decision maker is not one who is versed in the law and understanding the balanced approach of each interest, you get you get poor rulings many times and or, or unfair outcomes. And that's where your injustices um, are sometimes fester when you have adjudicators who aren't balanced. And so I, I want to bring that balance. And, and Judge Gray has, um, in my opinion, done a very good job of balancing that. Um, and so just, you know, making sure that legacy is is preserved and, and just maintained with integrity and someone who understands the plight of many of the people that would come before the court. Angel, you got to mute, unmute yourself, Angel. Cara, I want to ask you about your judicial temperament. Okay. Uh, uh, how do you see your judicial temperament? Well, I, I, as I said, I think I'm balanced. I think that I am fair. I think I've, my life has lended me so many opportunities where I would, um, you know, I've been, I've, I've represented a mother who has had to lay her son to rest. But I've also represented a mother who has had to usher her son to prison. I mean, so I think that because I've had I've had to, you know, console both ends of the spectrum, 
it, it, I think that it has a, lended me the just a unique training and experience to be to be fair and to be to be empathetic and compassionate for either either side because you know one you know you can be predisposed for a certain um, issue and your temperament can be that it's always no to these type of cases or. Um, but you can't have that when you're when you're wanting to be a fair judge, because every shoe is a, not a one size fits all shoe for people. It's the uh, the blanketed approach to every every person um, prevents you from being fair. And so I want to I believe that I would bring compassion, fairness, um, empathy um, and just just experience to the bench um and and I know I've worked with so many lawyers and judges I've actually served as special judge so when people are absent um like Judge Leverett and Judge Bailey when they're absent they they call me to fill in their court and so I think that speaks to my ability to um to rule fairly and that they know my work ethic Anybody that knows me knows Cara Connors is a hard worker. I work hard. I'm prepared. Um, All of the judges know when I come to court, I'm prepared. I've done my research. And so I think that's just a reflection of what type of judge I would be. And that and that research actually is a is a is a part of when you, you know, initially graduated from law school as well. And um, I do want the listening audience to, for you to tell the listening audience the area that that division actually covers. Yes. That's a, that's sometimes the magic question. Am I on your ballot? (laughs) And so um, it's 6.1 subdistrict, which is the the subdistrict that was created in the early nineties as a result of litigation, I think. Uh, Wesley mentioned, or you, Angel, mentioned the Hunt Decree um, seat, and that was a result of litigation um, by uh, several Black lawyers, Eugene Hunt, I believe, and, and voters that felt like Black people were not being elected to the bench. And it was a, a claim that the um, Voter uh, Rights Act was being violated by the state um, legislature and how that um you know, that constituent base was being um, how it was saturated in that Black officials were not being elected, Black candidates were not being elected. So as a result of that, it brought about um, the Hunt Decree, uh, which is five uh, judicial divisions in Pulaski County, and 12th Division is one of them. And so because of that, it created a sub-district that was strategically supposed to be predominantly minority communities or African-American communities. And so in the 1992, that looked like uh, your, and I'll go through the list for Little Rock Downtown, um, uh, you've got 12 Cedar Pine. And so the Dunbar area is a big part of the sub-district. You've got uh, South University, uh, so University Park, And then it goes to John Barrow, which is the Twin Lakes division of of that area. And it stops at about Shackelford for Little Rock. Um, North Little Rock, you've got all of downtown North Little Rock, Argenta, uh, Pike Avenue, all up and down Pike up until I want to say you get to JFK. It stops. It kind of drops off Camp Robinson that part is sketchy on whether you're on the ballot or not. And then it goes into 
College Station, Wrightsville, um, Sweet Home, Hensley Higgins, and uh, and it goes all the way to Scott, and it stops at the Pulaski County um, Lone Oak uh, line. And then um, there's there's far more areas, but my husband calls me geographically challenged, and so um, it's easy for me <laughs> to put an address in um, Voter View ar.org i believe and if you put your name in, or address in that uh website mm-hmm. you will see whether you have a 6.1 judicial ballot and that will tell you if i'm on your ballot and so that's the easiest way for me to tell you in proximity if i'm going to be on your ballot but what i have emphasized emphasized is that this seat is important to everybody in Pulaski and Perry County, despite whether you can vote for me or despite whether I live in the sub-district. Anybody with a case in Pulaski or Perry County can fall into 12th Division. So this court is important to every Pulaski and Perry County resident and you need to know and trust the person that you put you put in that seat. And so um, I know there's been some political chatter about whether you can vote for me or whether my I live in the sub-district or not. It doesn't matter because this seat is important to everybody. And whether you can vote for me or not, you can support me in, in the effort of me being elected because it may impact you despite whether you can vote for me or not. Um, and everybody, whether you live in West Little Rock or if you live in Perry County, if you file a case today and it's initiated, it could fall in 12th Division. So it's important. You, you, uh, I've seen you out on the trail and you have a beautiful family. Uh, Thank tell, you. Tell us about, about your family and how this is impacting them. And I know you yeah. talked to your husband. <laughs> join this, but but to just kind of give us a little snapshot of, of yes, that yes, my family is so important to me. My husband Gary, um, we've been married for ten years, dated fifteen. Um, we've got two beautiful young girls, um, Gia and Garen. Uh, Gia is six and going on twenty six, and then Garen. <laughs> Garen is 11 and she's a gymnast. She's a a competition gymnast, but they have been good sports. I mean, they love campaigning. They love meeting people and uh, telling them, telling people to vote for my mama and hand passing out material. Um, So they've enjoyed it. It's been a, I think it's been a good experience. It's been troubling and challenging many times uh, because we do work hard. We're, we're always on the go. Um, but they have been amazing sports and they have supported me um, every step of the way. My husband has been amazing. He's born and raised here in Little Rock. So he's got um, lots of family that have been encouraging and supportive. So I am, I'm so grateful to them um, for this experience. And um, it's definitely uh, grown and stretched us all um, from this experience. So Yes, that's my that's my crew. That's the Connors clan. <laughs> <laughs> we we definitely um, know that it's important to to have support in all your endeavors. And like Wes said, that you you do have a beautiful family, and we do wish you uh, the best of luck in your campaign. And we want to 
so much for coming here on Black Consumer News and speaking to our listeners and uh, letting your voice be heard. Thank you so much. I'm so honored um, to be here. Um, I'm a subscriber to your uh, daily record. So thank you for always putting out um, all this amazing news. Thank you. Thank you. So if you haven't already, please sign up um, to our online website, BlackConsumerNewsBCN.com, to get your weekly copy of our Monday morning brew newsletter and stay updated on important financial, business, and public policy issues affecting you. Again, you've been listening to Black Consumer News of Arkansas, news that empowers. We'll be back here next Friday from 11 a.m. until noon. Thank you so much again for joining us. And, and Kara, thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck on the campaign trail and get some rest. I am. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you again.